Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Amen and amen. People were born to believe, just as we were born with appetites that need to be fed, minds that need to be filled with knowledge, and hearts that need to exercise love. We are people, each one of us, we are people born to believe. Now, Jesus was one of the most understanding individuals ever to live. Tolerant, kind, patient, strong, beautiful. But the one thing that Jesus could not believe was that people did not believe. He just couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand why people would not believe. Over and over it's in the scripture. It says practically the same thing. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He just couldn't understand it. Because he knew we are people who are born to believe. Now, there are many, many barriers that keep us from believing. And today we look at the disciple Thomas. We call him Taunting Thomas, who eventually became Believing Thomas. And after Easter, he shows to us some of the barricades that prevent people from believing. 
First of all, we see that what kept him eight days from believing in the power of the resurrection of Jesus was the fact that he absented himself from the fellowship of the believers. That may sound strange, but nevertheless it's true. When you absent yourself from the fellowship of the believer, you stand behind a barricade which can prevent you from believing. People are strange. They think that they can worship God without going to church, and probably they can. Some of you try it from time to time. I know you do. You believe that you can be very grateful to God out on the golf course. And if you drive straight and putt good, you probably can. <laughs> Which eliminates most of you who I know as golfers. <laughs> Yes, I think you can thank God on the golf course. Some of you feel that you really become enraptured with the joy and the power and the presence of Almighty God as, as you travel in your Winnebago's and in your, and in your campers and with your tents. And I'm sure you can feel very close to God in that kind of a setting. But I don't think you grow in faith in those kinds of situations because great faith usually begins when it is caught in the contagious experience of worshiping together with fellow believers. I don't know where Thomas was, don't much care either, but he was not there on Easter night. The other ten disciples gathered. Judas, the eleventh, was out and already had or was in the process of committing suicide. And Thomas, we don't know where he was, but if Thomas had kept himself in the fellowship of the believers, he would have met and known and had a belief in the power of the resurrected Lord eight days before he did. But he wasn't there. He was one of those people who felt that he could find belief outside the community of believers. And maybe you can, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, but I do know this from experience, that one of the greatest impetus for coming to worship is the knowledge that within this community of believers your belief is going to grow. Maybe it's the music, the singing, the psychology of some dynamic that works when you get 500 people together. I don't know what it is. Presence of God, the preaching of his word, but I do know this, in here, in here, when we worship with believers, it's always easier, is it, to believe. Much easier than any other place. And things happen. Things happen in this place that I don't even know about. 
And no one of us knows all of the things that happen here because of that power of belief that comes when we are together in the community of believers. But last week we all saw one thing happen. It was little, probably insignificant, but again it shows what happens when believers meet together and believe with each other. You've all been waiting to hear. I know you have. Heard about it all week. Up to last Sunday, I was a little concerned. Our weekly bulletin kept saying that we were short on the one great hour of sharing. And when we didn't make it the second week, after I had hoped we'd make it the first week, I told Claude Bailey, our very competent, efficient business manager, Claude, I'm going to put in the bulletin this week we've made the $5,000. He says, we can't do that. I said, why? He said, we're $83 short. I said, no, we're not. We're taking it out of your salary. We've made the $5,000. He thought we had a better idea. And he says, Dick, I got a much better one. We'll take it out of your salary. And since he writes the check, we both decided we'd better come up with a different plan. I didn't know what we were going to do, but believe me, shortly before coming into the pulpit, I knew we were in the presence of believers. And I think we needed $96.13. And I very generously said I would give $1.13 and asked for 95 of you to take an envelope for the one great hour of sharing, put a dollar in it, and today we could report we would have our $5,000 or more. And to be honest with you, I was literally amazed to see you tight-fisted Presbyterians grabbing for your wallets, purses. You missed two announcements just because you were looking for these things. All week long, there hasn't been a day that somebody said, Well, Dick, how dollar day go? And I said, Well, and I report to you. 139 people put something in an envelope. And one of those was a fourth grade student who was worshiping with us last week, sat right down there, and from his wallet he took a dollar. Fourth grader and put it in because he believed. In total, 139 persons gave $248.53. And after I told you people that we made it, you all said the same thing. I knew we would because you believed. You believed. You know, there's not a thing that we cannot do when individually we join together, believing unitedly that we can do it. And when we believe unitedly, 
That's when we break down the barricade and you and I individually find faith. There's another barricade to faith, and that is when you choose, as did Thomas, when you choose to deliberately refuse to believe your friends. That's what Thomas did, you know. Thomas was not with them in the upper room. Ten of the disciples were there, Peter, James, John, people beside whom Thomas had slept people with whom he had slaved and been a servant, people with whom he had argued and whom he had loved, people to whom he had entrusted his very life in those moments of great trial, people for whom he said that he would be willing to die. Yet, when they came and said, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Thomas chose not to believe them. You see, that's one of the little intricate things that so often we forget in this idea of, of facts. We think that belief really is dependent upon the intellect it's not, ladies and gentlemen. Intellect has very little to do with it. It is really dependent upon the emotion. Many, thinks that, many think that it is dependent upon what goes on in the head. <laughs> belief or lack of belief originates right in the heart. Granted, facts are important and we never want to disregard them. And facts do not lie. And when we have put a fact before you, everybody sees the same fact. But the point is, everybody can choose for him or herself how he or she will interpret the fact. I have here a glass. In it is water. The facts are all there, and every one of you here can see it. Yet when I ask you to interpret the fact, some of you will say, the glass is half empty. Others of you will take the same fact and say, the glass is half full. I think I'll take one. I'm going to look at it. You see what happened? It's not the facts. It's how you interpret the facts that will cause you to say, I believe or I disbelieve. And for some reason or another, that Thomas was one of those individuals who chose to live with a pessimistic heart and to live with disbelief.
And there's so many Tommies around here today. Somebody comes up to you and say, and says, I've had a healing. I've had a healing. Now you have a choice when somebody tells you that. You can say, hallelujah, amen, wonderful. Or you can choose, oh, he thinks he's had a healing. And you choose not to believe him. That choice is not up to the fact. That's up to you. Somebody comes up to you and says, after having tremendous struggle with the bottle, I've quit drinking booze. And you can say, believing, amen, hallelujah, thank you, God. Or, you can say as most of us do, he thinks he's quit. And choose not to believe. My heart bleeds for Larry Flint. Yeah, I haven't read much about him recently. Is he walking now? Some doctors said he'd never walk again. He's that fellow who published that magazine that sells several hundred copies every month in which I haven't met a Presbyterian yet that has ever read one of his works. But he said he found Jesus. For Jesus found him, and he's converted, and he's saved, and he's a new man. And I think, though I haven't conducted a survey, 75% of the ministers I know don't believe him. And that's tragic. Why is it we choose to disbelieve? It's not because of the facts. It's because of our pessimistic, pessimistic emotions. It's not because of what's going on in our head. It's because of our impure hearts. And when you have a heart that refuses to believe, you have a barrier to believe. Some people use their senses as a barrier. You see, Thomas, he would not believe Peter, James, and John, but he was willing to put confidence, really overconfidence, into his own senses. Unless I see with my eyes, and unless I put my finger into the marks, and unless I put my hands into the open, and cut on his side, I won't believe his senses. Praise God for these senses and for the whole scientific approach and way that we can get things done. How grateful we are for people who have been able with the microscope, the telescope, and all these other scopes have been able to analyze beyond what the human mind, touch, eye, ear, and smell can understand. But folks, let's not put too much confidence in the senses. 
because they in, in and of themselves are not adequate to comprehend those things that we cannot see, touch, hear, or feel. How does Paul put it? Those things that are seen are temporal. Those things that are not seen are eternal. And the things that really last in life cannot be measured by the senses. We've seen the results, but whoever has seen electricity, energy, gravity, these are the things that count in life. Heard a preacher was once addressing a group of medical students, and he was talking about the value of the soul the spirit that is within man. And after the lecture was over, a third-year medical student came up and said, Sir, I have just autopsied a cadaver, and I think your lecture is completely out of place, for I took that body apart limb by limb, organ by organ, and I never found any such thing as a spirit or as a soul. And the preacher, not to be intimidated, said, uh, Fine, young man. You said you took the body apart. Tell me, did you dissect the brain? Yes, he said. Well, when you took the brain apart, did you find anything that you could call an idea or a thought? No, sir. Tell me, he said, you took the heart apart, did you? Did you find anything in there that you might call love or generosity? No, sir. You said you took the mechanism of the ear apart. Tell me, did you find anything in there that we could call sound? No, sir. You took the eye apart. Did you find anything there that you might call sight or insight? No, sir. My young doctor, he said, I think then you better go back and try to understand life and put it back together again. For you know as well as do I that life consists of thoughts, ideas, love, generosity, sounds, and sight. Yet you, with your senses, you have found none of these. He's right. The senses are wonderful. But they are limiting. And not only that, they're misleading. They're misleading. This, you see, I call a solid desk. Scientists tell me there's nothing solid about that. All that is is space with some generalized electrons bouncing about there that make it appear solid. This morning, I got up, I stood, and, and I watched the sun, and I watched the sun as it would rise in the horizon. My senses told me the sun was going up. You seventh grade general science students know that I'm completely all wrong, but that's what my senses said as the sun was approaching its zenith. That sun, though in actuality, right, was not moving. The earth was moving. And it was going down, but the sun was going up. My senses deceived me. These beautiful flowers here. They tell me, I think, that color should be pink. 
They say that's not pink at all. That's merely a delightful deception of optical illusion that is being played upon my optic nerve. My senses has deceived me. Senses can rob you too, you know. About 11 years ago, after my father and mother had served 34 years, pastor and wife in a great church, they were handsomely rewarded by that congregation. And putting some of their own money to it, they were able to take a trip around the world. One hundred days they were gone. And after leaving New York, the first stop was down in Florida. And I went down to Florida. Some of you here today were at that going away party on the ship we had for them. My heart was very heavy that night as I knew I wouldn't see them for a hundred days, maybe never again on this earth. And then the ship sailed. And I stood there on the beach at Fort Lauderdale. And I watched the ship as long as I could, going out. With my eyes, I followed it to what I would call the horizon. And then the ship disappeared. My senses failed me. You and I know if I'd gotten in an airplane and flown out to that ship, I could have gotten right up beside it, and that ship would just been as big, and my parents would just be as big and real as they were before they left Port Everglades several hours before. But you see what my senses did? That helped me because, you see, since that time, my father and mother have come back home, but my father has gone beyond what I can see. He's gone beyond where I can touch him. He's gone beyond where I can hear his voice. But I know by the power of God's Spirit, someday I shall go and find him just as of alive, if not more so, than he ever was when I touched him and kissed him and loved him and held them. Be careful. Your senses can be a barricade to your face. It's real interesting to see what it was that brought Thomas to a real living faith. It, was, it wasn't his senses. It wasn't even a belief in what his friends said. It was within the community of believers he was willing to accept mystery. Jesus said, here, touch me, Thomas. Thomas didn't have to. He was willing to fall down before a mystery and say, even though he couldn't fully understand it, my Lord and my God. And ladies and gentlemen, that is where faith begins. When you don't throw away your senses, but you realize they're not adequate. When you're beginning to willing to listen to people who say, God loves you, God forgives you, God has great things in store for you. God works for the good in all things. When you are willing to be in a group of people caught up in the pressure and in the condition of faith that comes through the community of believers. And when you are willing to say, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Today's my birthday. Some of you already know it. Been to Sunday school, you'd have gotten a surprise piece of cake. But today I honestly believe the Spirit of God has been with us in belief. And I believe today is a birthday for some of you. Because this is the day that some of you are going to be reborn. Don't fully understand it, kind of frightens you. But today here, in this hour, with these groups of believers, somehow or another, you've decided your heart wants to believe. And you're going to say right now, I believe. I know somebody's here. I can feel it. If you're one of those persons, I want you to stay after for a few moments. Meet me under the balcony after the rest leave. This could be your birthday. The day when you are reborn. And when that happens, it's a great day in the kingdom. Amen.